0: Hey, before we get to the show, we just want to give you a heads up. This episode contains descriptions of a police shooting that may be triggering to some listeners.
1: Good morning. Uh, My name is Amina Khalik, and I'm here with We the People, Michigan.
0: Good morning, honorable body. I'm Sandra Turner Handy. I'm the lead on the Denby neighborhood alliance. My name is Tim Christensen. Nancy Parker, managing attorney at the Detroit Justice Center. Hi, everyone. My
1: name is Yvonne Navarrete. I'm a resident of District 6.
0: City council meetings have been packed recently with concerned residents, and it's primarily due to a controversial police technology.
1: Um, I'm here to urge you to not expand ShotSpotter.
0: ShotSpotter. ShotSpotter does not work and it does not keep us safe. ShotSpotters have been able to take guns off of the streets in our community. Council members have repeatedly delayed a vote on the audio surveillance technology ShotSpotter. Every life that we lose is worth more than seven, eight million dollars.
1: A technology that sends more police into my community does not make me feel safe.
0: But it's just one of several major items of police news drawing questions about how we're being policed and the future of policing in Detroit.
1: There was someone shot by the police department this week. The son of Kiana w-
0: Wilson. On October 2nd, Detroit police shot and killed 20-year-old Porter Burks after family called to get help for him during a mental health crisis. Porter had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, and early that morning, he had gotten hold of a knife. Drop the knife for me, man. Come here real quick. You're okay. You're not in any trouble. You're not in any trouble. Can you just talk to me and drop the knife?
1: Post-George Floyd especially, there has been calls for better training and better mental health response. People in the community are really questioning, especially after that body camera footage came out, like why he was shot so quickly.
0: Uh, The officers had to stop the threat. They felt threatened.
1: How did it go from officers trying to engage with him to all of a sudden, 38 rounds in three seconds?
0: With the intent to increase surveillance— the death of Porter Burks, and an agreement to raise Officer pay. this week we check in with a free press reporter whose job it is to look at police in Detroit and their future to cover the department post-George Floyd and the calls for reform that came in 2020. I'm Kerry Jr. II, and this is On The Line. So your role is a new one at the Free Press. Can you talk a bit about uh, what you cover broadly and why this coverage is important?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the beat is described as policing post-George Floyd. It's really community-based. At least I see it as very community-based.
0: Meet Andrea Sahori.
1: You know, really talking to Detroiters about what they view public safety issues
0: are. Andrea joined the Free Press about three months ago and quickly got to work putting local stories on public safety into national context.
1: There's always been calls for accountability, but obviously those have increased since that murder um, in Minneapolis. So I really take a critical look, um, but also a wraparound look at policing issues in Detroit.
0: So she's really the perfect person to go a little deeper on recent city happenings. Yeah, and we're happy to have you be added to all of our coverage at the Free Press, definitely. Um, So there's a lot of news going on as of late in Detroit. And I want to start by putting it in the context of your role. There was a national wave of calls for police reform following George Floyd's death in 2020. In Detroit, we saw those protests. But also the Free Press was part of a team that put out a survey that found nine to one Detroiters would feel safer with more cops on the street, not fewer. Now, one-third complained that Detroit police use force when it isn't necessary, and Black men reported high rates of racial profiling. But participants also rejected 3 to 1, the slogan, to defund the police. Uh, Do you see a connection between these topics, Porter Bird, ShotSpotter, and the union contracts and those responses that we've seen about police?
1: I see it in the community every day, especially among, you know, mid to older populations who are really, really advocating for more police. They're very desperate for crime to be reduced. I think people are seeing more police as a solution, you know, as advocated for by city leaders in terms of how that's going to shape the future of policing um, in Detroit. At this time, I really don't see funding being reduced to police officers. Um, That's not the sense I get from city officials, Um, But I, I will be interested to see, especially after the shooting that took place, how policies might change. And Chief White alluded to that as well, how policies might change in terms of transparency and showing body camera footage and also just how we deal with people who are going through a
0: mental health crisis. So the shooting this weekend, as we said, Porter Burks was having a mental health episode and carrying a knife he didn't want to put down. In a video released by police, it's a little hard to hear, but he's in the street and it's believed he says something to the effect of he doesn't want to put the knife down because he likes it or likes to hold it or something like that. Andrea saw the video and we'll let her take it from here.
1: So a crisis intervention officer was on the scene and they are deployed to these instances of mental health.
0: My name is Sean, man. You're okay. You're not in any trouble, okay? I just want to help you. I just want to help you, man, Okay. Can you do me a favor and drop
1: the knife? Like we want to help you. You're not in trouble. Please put the knife down. And then he just begins to. It almost looks like he just begins to like quickly approach them. I don't. Or maybe even run to them. But almost immediately, he is shot at by police. Um, five officers shot at him. They used um, 38 rounds in three seconds. So far, they believe 15 of those bullets took.
0: And I, uh, I know there was a concern with stun gun use.
1: Yeah, so police had said prior to the press conference on Tuesday that
0: a taser was used. It didn't work.
1: Um now and they're not actually not even sure if a taser was used.
0: The press conference on Tuesday that they held, that's when they released the video footage probably. Yeah,
1: it was very, very tense. The family showed up. Porterbrook's aunt was shaking, a crazy Tense moment was when she's, you know, there's a gaggle of TV um, reporters um, in her face, right? And she's crying and pleading, like, if her voice is cracking, right? If you have a loved one don't call the. that's experiencing a mental health issue, don't
0: call the police, please. An investigation is underway, and the five officers involved are on administrative leave. Meanwhile, the Burks family has announced they will sue those Detroit police officers. And, and so how does this fit into the concerns about police killings?
1: You know, post-George Floyd especially, there has been calls for better better training and better mental health response. You know, historically, nationwide, there have been killing after killing of people experiencing mental health issues. And, you know, there's always the exploration of bringing in mental health professionals on scene, right? Um, so far, uh, you know, it seemed police have you know crisis intervention um officers who help respond to these calls um that are you know supposed to be trained to help deal with these issues um but i think that a lot of community members are saying that's not enough people in the community are really questioning especially after that body camera footage came out like why he was shot so quickly i think people are really questioning like that middle ground like is there are there more options like were were officers shooting to kill why
0: if so why um I know Chief White actually has background in counseling he's been a vocal mental health response advocate and we've got programs in the city to send mental health specialists along with police on some calls what did white say about the mental health part here in this case did he raise any concerns with the mental health response will there be any review of that
1: that's part of the investigation um you know if anything he vouched for his crisis intervention officer that was at the scene he kind of guided the public as we were watching the video and, you know, he was kind of explaining, OK, this is part of our training.
0: We, we just need you to drop the knife for us, OK? I'm going to pause it here and we'll pick back up at that
1: point in a moment. Uh, this is a crisis intervention trained officer, a CIT. You know, he obviously expressed condolences.
0: This is a tragic situation. Anytime we use force, it's not the desired outcome. Anytime we use fatal force, it's the worst outcome. When we come back, we'll break down the police department's recent pay raise and the controversy surrounding ShotSpotter. Just going to run this dog
1: to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
0: Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back talking about the most recent Detroit police news with Free Press criminal justice reporter, Andrea Sahori. Now I want to transition to talk about uh, the program where police show up, even if they aren't called, the controversial spotter technology. The city council delayed the vote on whether or not they will expand the technology to other districts. Um, Before we get into all of those details, first, can you just define what ShotSpotter is?
1: Yeah, so ShotSpotter is an audio surveillance technology. It's been um, deployed in cities across the country. It basically, it's microphones that are planted in certain areas of the city, usually in high up locations like a roof, light post, etc. And it's meant to detect gunshots. The California-based company ShotSpotter, they say that they have an algorithm that can pinpoint what a gunshot is versus other sounds. And then there's human analysts who back that up and are listening to these shots.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then it's supposed to alert police um, right away when a shot is detected, and then police will respond.
0: So when did uh, Detroit first acquire a ShotSpotter?
1: So it was implemented in 2021, in March of 2021, um, in the 9th and 8th precincts. And yeah, eighth precincts. And those are where, uh-huh. you know, police have said, have identified as concentrations of um, high crime in the area.
0: How much does this cost? So the
1: current contract um, in the 9th and 8th precinct is $1.5 million, Um and There's been intense debate. All of this debate has been around city council meetings. Um, You know, activists and community members on on both sides of the conversation have been packing the city council. Mm -hmm. You know, it it got on the city council's radar that police wanted to expand the program beyond just the 8th and ninth precinct for $7 using ARPA funds. ARPA is the COVID relief funds, American Rescue Plan funds. And immediately, especially activists, took issue with that. You know, using ARPA funds on a program that might not work, they say it's discriminatory. It's another surveillance, you know, tool that we don't need. You know, the city officials and police's justification, like, you know, this is another tool. We need—we have a problem in the city, and we need to use all the tools at our
0: disposal. What are are people saying? Why is it so controversial?
1: So— there are you know, some real um, concerns. The Associated Press did a whole investigation. Um, a man named Michael Williams was jailed for um, about a year because of shot spotter evidence that wrongly pointed to him. Mm. And you know, the investigation found that the, the shot spotter technology will actually like capture car doors or fireworks oh. or loud sounds like that that could appear to be um, gunshots. There's also been other reports, like there was this one, like 17 year peer reviewed study of large metropolitans that he'd used Sean Potter and it showed that gun violence has actually not decreased. Mm-hmm. You know, and the inspector general of Chicago also had said that the, the use of the technology has actually added to stop and frisk. On the other hand, you have a city in Detroit. Um, that is, unfortunately, really plagued with gun violence, and people are desperate to find solutions, truly desperate. They are desperate to find closure of their loved ones' cases. They are desperate. They are sick of seeing children being buried. In their perspective, any technology um, would be helpful in, in terms of curbing gun violence.
0: What has ShotSpotter said?
1: In an email sent to us, they've kind of denied all the claims in the studies and, and you know that, that we
0: mentioned in our reporting. How effective has ShotSpotter been in Detroit thus far?
1: You know, overall, in the city, um, violent crime overall, which is not just um, shootings, have gone down. Um, I think what's interesting is, is, yes, in the 8th and ninth precincts, overall, violent crime has gone down. Non-fading shootings have gone down. However, um, homicides in the ninth precincts are up. Um, and this data is compared to last year, by the way. Okay. So it's like year-to-date data. Um, and this is provided by police. But other, you know, other precincts that don't have shot spotters, you're still seeing the same thing. Trends. So it's hard to...
0: The citywide trends.
1: Yes. It's hard mm-hmm. to correlate like, oh, this it's because of shot spotter.
0: Why do city officials, uh, police officials want to expand shot spotter? I mean, you spoke to the citizens. What do they say is the benefit of shot spotter in the city of Detroit?
1: They say it helps with prosecution and it helps um, curb perpetrators and helps with response times. Mm. There has been question on whether it would actually improve response times um, because there is an exodus of police officers. So um, we're losing a lot. And actually, the you know, the city just announced pretty substantial raises for police to try to combat that exodus and make their pay more competitive. Um you know, the Detroit's data that they had provided to the city shows that about 20 percent of shot spotter incidents result in shell casings, the bullet casing. So that's like a pretty good indicator that a shooting had taken place. It's not the biggest number, um, but I think in police and the public's perspective, because, you know, shot spotter has also led to search warrants. It's led to arrests. So, you know, any guns off the streets, any. Um, any person's life you can save, any um, arrests you can make, it's it's worth it, even though some studies might question its effectiveness. I know one time the chief had presented to city council. He asked the question, you know, what is the cost of life?
0: Just real quick, is the crux of their concern the funding, too? Is it because it's coming from ARPA funds? It's
1: not just the funding. You know, last week when they delayed the vote, that's when we really heard where, city council members currently stand. Mm. Um, and some of them said that they would support ShopSpotter if it wasn't using ARPA funds because they really want to see those ARPA funds being used for wraparound services, kind of those grassroots organizations that are helping to prevent and intervene in gun violence and, you know, housing and transportation and whatnot. They postponed it again because they're going to find, they're trying to find alternative funding Mm -hmm. um, for the, for ShotSpotter. And people there who opposed ShotSpotter had said, even without ARPA funds, this is not something
0: that we should be spending money on at all. So I want to go back, To something you said before, you were talking about response times and how ShotSpotter is kind of being proposed as a solution in Detroit because so many officers are leaving and there's this big news on a a new union contract here. Um, What can you tell us about the officers leaving? Have those numbers really been that high?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've had a a pretty large exodus of um, police officers Mm -hmm. just in just in the months of August and September, seventy-two officers left the department. For majority of them, wow. to other departments in surrounding cities city. with higher
0: pay. In Michigan, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to the suburbs. What are the details of the union contract?
1: The city is using this extra tax revenue to help provide police officers with competitive pay. So the tentative agreement with the police, two police unions in the city, the. Um, Detroit Police Officers Association and the Lieutenant and Sergeants um, Associations, you know, the starting pay will immediately increase to $53,000 for lower level officers who might be just starting pay for officers with four years on the force would increase from 60000 to $73,000 a year. And then officers would receive an increase of 4% a year for the next four years as part of the contract. And a tentative agreement with the lieutenant sergeant and sergeant's union would raise the pay. Like I said, it instantly needs to be ratified and approved by council.
0: Is this enough of a recruiting tool? Just the fact that, you know, this is a job where you have to carry a gun, where you're dealing with violence in some instances day to day?
1: I think that it's obviously a big one. I mean, city and police officials describe this agreement as landmark and historic. Union officials have said, we're finally turning the tide on recruitment efforts.
0: Just to wrap up here, we talked a lot about police today, Um, a lot of stuff that seems separate. But to all of these topics, is there an underlying theme from your perspective? I
1: I think the through line would be, I think that Detroiters have a lot of different opinions on what public safety and policing should look like. Um, And it really is exemplified and showcased in mental health crises because you know, as people, we want to help others. Right. And so it's really tragic. It's tragic when, you know, anyone passes away, but the community doesn't take this lightly and from all sides of, you know, the arguments and opinions and perspectives.
0: Thank you, Andrea, for talking with us today and taking the time. I know you're really busy and we appreciate having you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
0: This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is For Trumbull, made by DJ Lostboy. Thank you all for listening, for subscribing, and please share it with your friends and family if you like the show. Don't forget to come back and see us next week. See you then.